So, Tom, you're familiar with the concept of mouth trumpet, am I correct? Yes, I've read about it. Or so I have read. Mouth trumpet, uh, for those of you out there who aren't familiar with mouth trumpet, is a noise you make with your mouth that simulates a trumpet. And it works for (laughs) many songs. But if you were to apply mouth trumpet to our theme song, it would go something like this. That, my friends, is Mouth Trumpet. So there. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. So there. So there. So there. Let me know your thoughts. Why do you keep saying let us know your thoughts? Let me know your thoughts to me is a nice lead-in for So There. So There. Welcome to episode 11 of So So There. There. It's been a while. We made it back from our Christmas cabin in the woods of northern Minnesota. Have you missed us, America? Wait, don't answer that. Let's just say the measurable there would be the fact that we've received one email in the last six weeks, and we will read it at the end of this episode. Wow, that's a real cliffhanger for you, isn't it, (laughs) listeners? (laughs) Well, I would like to kick off things today uh, with the realization I made uh, the other night. I'd seen one of these Alexa commercials, and it occurred to me that... um, I I can't see myself ever using one of these devices. Um, And I was thinking about why. Obviously, I I, I think that they offer lots of kind of conveniences and lots of product benefits. And, you know, it it seems kind of cool. You know, hey, Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list or whatever it is. But I realized in thinking about it some more, I just don't like talking to inanimate objects. And I I can't really ever see myself talking to an object because I think the act of talking out loud does take a lot of effort. Is there any other way to talk besides out loud? Well, just talking. When you know you're not going to get... I mean, I can think it. That doesn't take much effort. Uh, But but talking to something that's not... And and projecting your voice and speaking clearly um, are all things to me that make it more effortful than I'd like. Did you just invent a word, effortful? Yes, it's like you are. T- you are a true ad man a to invent smith. a word, effortful. And By the way, when I worked at Leo Burnett, people would often say when they'd be talking about it, an idea, they'd go, "You know, I'm just, I'm just talking out loud here," and they meant to say, "I'm thinking out loud," but they'd go, no, I'm, "I'm just talking out loud." So <laughs> bear with me. Well, of course you're talking out loud. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I, I and I, I, I realize that my my disdain for for conversing with inanimate objects. Uh, really uh, hits its pinnacle whenever I get one of those um, automated voicemail people. Uh, And the one on American Airlines site, and I know that you can probably, as a company, you can subscribe to different services. Uh, The American Airlines 800 number has a voicemail prompt that tries really hard to be conversational. And sometimes when she doesn't understand what you're saying, she says, I didn't get that. 
And there's, a, there's this weird little stammer in her voice, like she's trying to trick you into thinking that she's a real person that you're going to converse with. I find that makes me even more angry. And I'll, I'll, I'll respond with kind of an even more kind of muddled uh, delivery to further confuse her. And then she'll say, I didn't get that. Eventually, eventually you will confuse her to a point where she will automatically bounce you to an operator. But, but usually, to me, this is, this is the tail end of a process where you were really just trying to get to an operator in the first place. So uh, I, the whole thing just kind of sets me off sometimes. I, I, I do not like interacting with inanimate objects. So there. Uh, yeah, the guy, the guy in United goes, I didn't quite get that. I didn't quite get that. You know, I... Uh, I own an Echo, and uh, and I, I actually I bought I bought one, um, and my first one I only owned for a few weeks because every time I asked it something, my wife would answer from another room. I'd go, Alexa, what's the weather today? And Lisa would go, What? She always thought I was talking to her. Alexa, uh, Alexa, what's the latest news? What? That's Lisa saying what? Yeah. Now, it would be very confusing for Tom Karamidas because his daughter is named Alexa. Yes. Yes. And I've asked my daughter, Alexa, if she gets gets irritated, if people do the Alexa thing to her. And uh, I think they do. I think that it's, everyone thinks it's the joke she hasn't heard before. Sorry, Alexa. That was a compelling topic, Tom. Thank you. They're all compelling. Some are just more compelling than others. Uh, I would like to talk about airlines. I know that we all we all get annoyed on airlines, and I do too. I travel a lot in my job, and uh, but I encountered behavior that I found to be inexcusable, and I think Tom Karamidas did not think that it was inexcusable. So I'm going to talk about it, and you, the listener, can see what you think. So, uh, I have a thing about people that recline their seatbacks on planes. I don't think it should be allowed. It just shouldn't be allowed. Planes are so tight right now that it's simply you should not do it. Right? So, on a plane recently, I was sitting behind a guy in an exit row, and he had literally six feet of leg room in front of him. And me behind him, I had about 12 inches of leg room, or not even that, eight inches. And he reclined his seat back into my space. So this was a man with six feet of leg room in front of him, and yet he reclined his space, I f uh, his, his uh, seat. I found that to be loathsome. I would like to talk about another <laughs> airline behavior that maybe Tom Karamidas can tackle, but I've noticed this as well. People, if you sit on the aisle of an airplane, which I almost always do, I try to, because I get very restless, I need to get up and stretch and all that, I almost always sit on the aisle. When people walk past you to the back of the plane, to a row behind you, and they have backpacks, they invariably hit you with the backpack. It's just kind of a thing where the backpack swings wide, and, 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 if, they, and if they turn a little bit, to, as they make their way to the back of the plane, boom goes the backpack into your shoulder. 
I don't think people should be allowed to have backpacks on airplanes. So there. Did you? Uh, uh, all right. Well, l- l- let me start with just as a, as a disclaimer. Uh, Gary and I are not a hundred percent certain we haven't already covered this. See, now that we've gotten to like three thousand episodes, <laughs> or it feels like three thousand episodes, there's a chance we've discussed this. So, a preemptive apology. Um, I will say with the seat back, I I think you're 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 conflating and combining two separate issues with with the seat back because to me if you are in an exit row yes i get it that you have you have more room in front of you but the the urge to recline your seat is to probably to take pressure off your lower back to maybe make it easier to fall asleep and your your head won't bob because you're not so upright the fact that you have more leg room to me is perhaps in your in your mind it makes that that behavior more objectionable because you already have a creature comfort and now you're trying to get greedy. You should think about the person behind you. But the person behind you is impacted equally whether or not you're in an exit row, right? You're just reclining the seat. Now what what I do, my measuring stick is a quick glance behind me to see who's there. If it's a child or it's a petite female, oh yes, I will recline because my seat will never touch their knees. But if it's a full-grown man, I probably won't. Maybe it's because I'm afraid of him. I don't know. I agree with you, though. I think I think the seat recline feature should be deactivated. It is on... Uh, I flew Frontier once, which is a low-rent airline, and yet it was thoroughly enjoyable because all the seats are fixed. They can't recline. Were people trying to jam them back? Yeah. Break the mechanism? Yeah. They were like, what's wrong with this chair? What? There's something wrong with this chair. (laughs) My gambit, when people do that, I try to look. They'll be invariably looking at their computer or doing something on their phone. And I I try to get their email address off of their phone. And then I send them an email. And I say, you know, one of the things about when you recline your chair is it's really rude to the person behind you, but also somebody behind you can literally see what's on your screen, like me. <laughs> Have you actually, you've actually done that? You've sent them an email? Yeah. Have you gotten a response? Yeah. Can you read it on the air? Uh, may- maybe next week. But I mean, is it profane? Was it apologetic? Mm-hmm. Is it? I think uh, the last guy did this too, r- replied back. And actually, it was the person that reclined his seat in an exit row he said and this is a fair point he said you could have just asked me on the plane fair comment but we are conflict avoidant midwesterners aren't we that's what we're known for yes and especially conflict avoidant up here in the so there cabin in the north woods of minnesota so this week's so there, Redux. We're going to revisit one of our favorite topics, which is, uh, which is elevator irritants. I noticed um, a phenomenon that happens, uh, and, and, and I'm sure most of you have had the same thing happen. As the population of the elevator dwindles, and you get down to the final two people, you and somebody else, there is invariably a redistribution of the space right? One person will move to the opposite side. It's always awkward, like if you're standing next to somebody and you're shoulder to shoulder through the whole ride, then all of a sudden when you're the last two, there is an understanding that you should now 
reorganize yourselves. You should reorient yourselves to, to, to get maximum distance between the two of you. I have kind of been amused lately because I don't do that. I will stand my ground mostly to see if the other person's going to move. Uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But once again, proving once more that the elevator is one of the most fertile labs for observing odd human behavior. So there. Yeah, that's a good gambit, making people uncomfortable. Uh, a similar gambit, a similar way of making people uncomfortable, and you can use this in a business setting, is if they ask you a question about anything, about any, you know, a, a strategy or an ad or whatever, you give a one-word answer. Um, you know, so, so, so Tom, um, do you think we can do three spots for $500,000? And you say, no. And that's all you say. And watch them freak out. Though. So you just say no. And then there's a pause and they go, yeah, because we think that, you know, there'd be a good to do three for $500,000, you know, or, you know, it's like, Tom, um, uh, Tom, do you, do you think this idea is, uh, is, is, is doable in the budget that we have? And you go, yes. And that's it. And watch them squirm and freak out. That, that phenomenon probably um, <clears throat> follows uh, one of the rules Gary Doyle probably learned. I think Gary Doyle was a, a, a journalism major, was he not, if, I re if memory serves? Journalism and political science. Yes. My, my vision was to be a White House correspondent who said, reporting live from the White House, I'm Gary Doyle. And that dream kind of crashed when I got out of school and realized there were only three of those jobs in the whole country. At the time, kids, there was ABC, CBS, and NBC. Anyway. Well, and then Fox was added, and then everything took off after that. Right. But I will say that my, my reason for asking is, is, is Ted Koppel, noted legendary journalist, who used to have a show called Nightline on ABC, his number one rule of journalism was never ask a yes or no question. And that's kind of what happened in your meeting. They got what they deserved. So there. <laughs> Is it just us tonight? It could be. It could be a bad are we, show. Are we? It could, it could be a bad show. Is this or a batting slump? <laughs> or, or, or we could listen to it and think it's amazing. I don't know. All right. Uh, <laughs> Will this be the final episode? No. All right. Uh. So, uh, I would like to introduce a uh, segment we call I Wonder Why. You know, we had an I Wonder Why a little while ago about the curious escalator behavior of people that ride an escalator down all the way down, but then for some inexplicable reason, the last two or three steps, they, they, they step forward. So when they're almost down to the bottom, that's when they step, move down the stairs. But the rest of the time down, they ride it down. But, it, but you'll see this a lot. And it's, it's inexplicable. Similar to that, I've noticed, and this is especially at work, is people that leave three seconds or two seconds on the microwave. So you go up to the microwave to make some food, to heat up some food, and there's two seconds on the microwave. They felt compelled to take that food out of the microwave when there was two seconds left. They put it in there for, you know, whatever, a minute and a half, two minutes, but then those extra two seconds were crucial. No, 
They could not microwave that food for another two seconds. It had to be stopped before then, or all hell would break loose. Both of your observations, all right, address the 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 the, the human uh, the, the human phenomenon of anticipation. Okay, I think with the microwave thing, it's I'm hungry, I'm tired of waiting. <laughs> It's those last few seconds that are the most agonizing. And I would also say with the escalator thing, you have a bit of a quasi-dangerous situation at the bottom of the escalator. You know, uh, you don't want your foot to perhaps get caught where the, 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 the floor goes into the grate, you know, that whole thing. So mm-hmm. you're getting ready to step over it. I, I always thought that was the reason why people began, resumed their gait at the bottom of the escalator. It's a safety thing. Interesting. But I've been known to fear escalators. So there. And now it's time for listener mail. We get so much mail that uh, I wonder why, speaking of I wonder why, I wonder why our email platform is Yahoo, because Yahoo would seem to be incapable of handling the volume of mail that So There gets. And I would imagine that a lot of the messages to So There probably get lost because of Yahoo's inefficient uh, you know, practices and their dated servers and whatever. But this is one letter that got through the email, which is so there at yahoo.com. And it comes from a listener named Ann. And Ann says... I am a longtime listener and frequent emailer to the pod. In one of your recent pods, you decreed that Chicagoans find another brand of winter coat other than Canada Goose. My question is, if you have two Canada Goose coats, do you have Canadian geese? Your number 12 fan, Anne. I would say if you have two Canadian geese coats, you should be an Alexis ad. Because you're you, doing if, rather well. If you have two Canadian goose coats, like Robin Williams said about cocaine, that's God's way of telling you you have too much money. <laughs> well, through all the fits and starts and potentially material that you've heard before, that wraps up episode 11 of So There. I'm Tom Karamitis from the Leo Burnett Company. And I'm Gary Doyle from the Kramer Cresselt. Inviting you to join us again, hopefully later than sooner, for the next episode of So So There. There!